Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose and if you ever saw it you would even say it glows all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names Hello this is Randy Moon and welcome to the Holiday Moons podcast where we share our love for the holidays with you year round I will be continuing my favorite Christmas movie series with today's movie, A Christmas Story. This is Sydney, and I will be talking about the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story by Robert Louis May. This is Beth. I will be talking about the ugly Christmas sweater. Oh, not just ugly sweaters, but ugly Christmas sweaters. Ugly Christmas sweaters, yes. Usually if you say ugly sweater, people know it's a Christmas sweater. Yes. I, I would hope that's true. I would too. Cole is not here today. He is off doing some other Christmas-related activities, so you won't hear him today. So our holiday happenings from this past week, we were pretty busy. Monday, which seems like forever ago, was actually our last day at Disney. We went to Magic Kingdom mm-hmm. and had a very fun day um, doing some final rides. We made it on some of the longer rides that we wanted to get on. We got there early and got on some rides, and uh, it wasn't too bad from a line perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weather was nice. It was cooler. Yes, it was very nice. And it was cloudy, and it rained a little bit, but not too much. Remember, yeah. it rained at one point where we were underneath one of those umbrella tables. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, yeah. I could feel a little bit on my back, but that was yeah. about it. Yeah. But we, uh, we managed to get a snack and get under those umbrella tables, find one, and get under there. So Right, before yeah. the rain came. and Yep, do some last-minute shopping right. and things like that. We saw the all the different Disney cavalcades at Magic Kingdom that day. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of them sitting there while we yeah, exactly. <laughs> under the umbrella. In fact, we saw the, the rain versions and the non-rain versions. That's right. Different times of the day, so that was kind of cool. They were very generous with those. Right. They had them going fairly often. Yeah, and I would say it was fairly crowded that day for Monday, but it wasn't too bad. The next day we traveled home and um, had a very non-eventful ride. It took about two hours less time to get home because... South Carolina wasn't giving us a problem. Oh my goodness. It was so much more of a breeze than yes. when we went down. Yes, that was nice to get through pretty quickly. And then the next big thing we had on our plate was to get our Christmas tree, which we had been storing outside in water while we were gone, into the house. And this is a tree, I'm guessing it's probably 13 feet tall. We said 11 to 12, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, like 13 feet. And I, probably, I was guessing 14. And it's probably it was probably closer to 14 before I cut the bottom off. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It's so big. It's so, so dense. It's very thick and dense. So it was leaning against um, the house in the shady part as per the recommendation of the Christmas tree farm owner. Um, and it seemed to do well. The needles were all good. The branches were good. So I was pretty happy with the fact that I could do that and store it there. I asked Cole to see if he could get one of his roommates to come over um, so we did that on Thursday after work, and it was a beast to get in. It was a beast to get out of the the water, and then a beast to get in the house. And the hardest part was to get it into the Christmas tree stand, because we had gotten a, a, this mega Christmas tree stand, since we like bigger trees, at one of the Christmas tree farms. And this thing barely fit inside. I've never had a tree where I had to like trim the edges. Any like, little... Bumps on the edges, yeah. And little yeah. bumps off the edges in order for it to fit just into the Christmas tree stand itself. So we, it took several tries to, while well, I was on its side, to, to try to get it on. It. Right, to make sure it would go in. Then when we got it in, I thought, well, we got it out of the big bucket outside. So I thought it wouldn't be too hard to get it into the Christmas tree stand because it's not as high. Right, so this is after... Dragging it into the house. Cutting cutting the bottom. Cutting the bottom. Which was a huge deal too. <laughs> Dragging it into the house and then trying to lift up the tree to get into yes. the... This little, this little target area. This, yes. little, tr- this yeah. little target area of a tree stand. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we finally, we finally did it. Uh, thank goodness Cole and his roommate, uh, Ryan, could come over and help. So I yeah. appreciate their help. And we were exhausted after we got it in. So about... An hour later, after we got it in, oh screwed in, I looked at it and I thought, you know, that thing just looks too not straight where I was worried about it falling over. So eventually I called Cole back up and he and Ryan happened to be leaving um, a you know, place where they just came right back over. And it was a lot easier this time where we could unscrew it while I was in the stand, straighten it up, 
and then screw it back in and it looks a lot better now. And it's gorgeous. I was just like, oh my goodness, I am so done with real trees. It was the biggest, <laughs> hardest thing I we've ever done with trees. Yeah, it was trees. It was pretty big. And so we got it up. I put the lights up yesterday, Saturday, and um, you know, the they got it ready basically for the ornaments to be put on it. So it's all ready to go. It's We're gonna beautiful. do that later today. It's I think the the prettiest shaped tree we've ever had. Which is hilarious because it was sight unseen. Yes. We had no idea what we were getting. Yep. But it's beautiful. It is absolutely gorgeous. Yep. And it smells amazing. Yep. And yeah. Oh my goodness. The shape of it is just perfect and it's coming it kind of comes into a little bit of a teardrop shape at the bottom. And so the branches are starting to come out more. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll spread out a little bit more. To relax. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we got it done. I know Beth's not convinced we're going to do a live tree, but I just think maybe we'd get a little bit smaller live tree, and I think that'll solve the problem. Beth is convinced we should do a 12-foot fake Fraser fir tree. I'm not 100% Sure, that'll be a lot easier to do. It's to be it honest. totally well. I think I just need like a little crane in my house to <laughs> kind of lift things up. At one point, Randy looked at me and said, I think I need scaffolding. Because he was <laughs> at the top of the tree with on a ladder trying to get those lights around. I'm like, <sighs> Yes. And actually, it wasn't too bad. I got really close to the top of the tree because we left the tree wrapped and, and tied together. So I was able to get really close to the top of the tree. So that actually wasn't too bad at all. To get the lights on the top of the tree because that's the only way I can do it because the ladders won't get close to the top unless it's all, you know, the top maybe four feet are not wrapped but everything else is wrapped together. Right. So you just take the wrapping off of that, put those lights up, and then go down the tree a little more. And yeah, take the then wrapping we, off of that and yep. put the lights on that. Yeah. It gets to the middle part is actually the hardest section because um, that's when it starts coming out far enough where I have to take multiple ladder steps around the tree yeah. in order to get the lights the whole way around. That's the harder part. So, but the tree's still taking a lot of water, so that's good. So we're happy with that, happy with the result of it, even though it was pretty tough <laughs> getting to that point. Uh, the other thing that happened this past week was the impact of COVID. We had planned to have a small Christmas party with people that we kind of are, you know, close connections with and, and that sort of thing. And their family. And their family, as well as go to our families. But all of that was kind of dependent on the COVID situation getting better. Well, the COVID situation, since we were away and came back has gotten worse in Virginia where we are and in Pennsylvania where our families are uh, to the point where we've pretty much nixed all of that. We're not going to have a Christmas party this year, which will be the first since I don't even know when. I don't either. It's early nineties. Yeah, that's <laughs> what we do. Yeah. And then we won't be seeing my family in person. So that's kind of a bummer that our plans have changed, but we were flexible. We kind of knew that was a possibility and we're fortunately for us all adults, <laughs> so we can handle that. The other thing that is going on is that we are actually expecting our first snowstorm of the season this coming Wednesday. Before Christmas. Before Christmas. Oh my goodness, so exciting. Last year I don't think we had any snow. It didn't seem like it, but this year we have a storm coming. We'll have to see. It's always kind of questionable when we live this close to the East Coast and the East Coast water as to how much snow we'll get and which direction the storm will take and that sort of thing. So the predictions right now are anywhere from rain to 8 to 12 inches. Yeah. So it's all over the place at this and point. And it's all day. It yes. is calling for all day. It's calling for all day. Yeah. So uh, we'll let you know next weekend how that all turned out. Hopefully it'll be... A fun snow, pretty yeah. snow along the way. And the other thing you had that we always have to think about too when we live here in Front Royal is we don't know how long the snow is going to last. So hopefully it'll last a little, or it you will mean linger. after after the snowstorm is gone, right? Yeah. Hopefully it will linger a little more mm -hmm. than previous times, right? And then I think some of the saddest news that we have for this week's holiday happenings is that. The Valentine stuff is already out. It's oh two weeks before Christmas, <laughs> and the Valentine stuff is out, and the Christmas stuff is all being pushed to the side. Now Who I don't cares mind about that. <laughs> I don't mind the the uh, sales right on you know items that we need, but I yeah. don't. I'm not happy with the Valentine stuff being out already. Because seriously, know. compared to Christmas, but just the other day I went to Michael's and I did get a tree skirt for my tree. And a little stocking, and it was like fifty percent off. Yes, it was really good sales. And it takes a while for Michaels to get there. Yeah, so it does. They are slower. <laughs> they are so slow. Hobby Lobby is very generous yes. with their yeah. savings. 
So that is a really good price discount. Yeah. I went Michael's. to um, Walmart, Michaels, and Target, and Lowe's this morning. And it was funny because Walmart is like trees out the door. Like I think they have like two displayed trees left and that's it. Oh my gosh. Lowe's the same way. Trees gone. Went to Michael's. Mm-hmm. Their trees are hugely expensive still. <laughs> I mean, just crazy expensive. Makes you wonder. But they have really pretty trees. Like the yeah. ones that Walmart sells are are like the cheaper ones. The, they're the Walmart yeah. trees. <laughs> but they, the rest of them are, are pretty nice. Yeah. And then Target um, had kind of a mix yeah. of nicer ones and, and cheaper ones that were more on sale. But they weren't really on that much sale either. Mm-mm. So Yeah, it takes Target a while too to... Right. have sales like that. Well, I'm going to continue my fun short series on favorite Christmas movies. I've talked about It's a Wonderful Life. I've talked about White Christmas. And now I'm going to bring up one of my favorites, A Christmas Story. Love it. Yes, it's one of our all-time favorites, even though it's not that old of a movie. It came out in the 80s. Um, it has become a Christmas classic for us and for many people around the world. And we'll talk about why that happened. But first, in case you haven't watched A Christmas Story or haven't watched it in a while, I wanted to give you a spoiler-filled movie summary. So A Christmas Story takes place during the Christmas season in Homan, a fictitious town in northwest Indiana. The year is what you call a Norman Rockwell kind of year, circa 1940. The story revolves around Ralphie, Ralphie Parker, played by Peter Billingsley, He's a nine-year-old boy who wants one thing for Christmas, a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time, which always cracks me up. I know. just a clock? Right, yeah. (laughs) When Ralphie informs his mother of his greatest Christmas wish, she responds with, you'll shoot your eye out, a theme throughout the movie. But undaunted, Ralphie continues in his quest for the Red Ryder BB gun. So after his teacher, Miss Shields, assigns Ralphie's class an essay... With a theme of what they want for Christmas, Ralphie composes a ode to the Red Rider BB gun. Somehow, Ralphie hopes Miss Shields will be so overcome with his beautiful prose that she will see to it that Ralphie gets his desired Christmas present. But instead, she gives him a C-plus on the assignment and writes the following warning in red. You'll shoot your eye out. The next day, the bullies, local bullies Scott Farkas, confronts Ralphie and his friends as they walk home. Throughout the film, Scott and his little toady, Grover Dill, routinely terrorizes the three boys. Whomever he chooses to pick on to abuse that day won't stop until he makes them cry uncle. On this particular day, Scott pegs Ralphie with a snowball to the face before taunting him. With tears welling up in his eyes and an inner rage brewing, Ralphie snaps. He tackles Scott to the ground and then pushes Grover to the ground, who promptly runs off to tell his mom. Ralphie then resumes his onslaught, beating Scott Farkas to a pulp, while cursing at a proficiency and an abundance that not even the old man Parker could match. The beating continues until Ralphie's brother, Randy, brings their mom to stop the fight. She pulls Ralphie away from Scott and takes him home. Now, Ralphie's biggest worry is what will happen when his temperamental father finds out. Randy, his younger brother, is afraid that Daddy will kill Ralphie, and he hides under the kitchen sink in fear. As it turns out, Mr. Parker barely even pauses from reading the evening newspaper when his wife tells him about the fight. She downplays the incident and never brings up Ralphie's expert use of profanity. So, Ralphie survives to fight another day, and Randy still has a brother. Ralphie now turns his attention to making his final plea for the BB gun. At the local Higby's department store, Ralphie asks Santa Claus... For a Red Ryder BB gun, Santa responds with the old refrain, You'll shoot your eye out, kid, before booting him down a long exit slide. Ralphie's now 0 for 3 in his quest for the gun. On Christmas Day, Ralphie and his family go through the ceremonial opening of presents. After opening seemingly every gift, Ralphie's dad points to one last hidden present. Ralphie opens it, and at last his Christmas wish comes true. He immediately opens the box and pulls out his new Red Rider BB gun. He loads the pellets before dashing outside to try out his new present. He shoots at a target posted to a metal sign. The BB ricochets and strikes Ralphie in the face, knocking off his glasses, but fortunately missing his eye. 
Ralphie accidentally steps on his glasses while searching for them, breaking the lens. He quickly comes up with a fib to tell his mother, involving an icicle with murderous intent. All is well as Mom buys the fib, hook, line, and sinker. However, while tending to her son, Mom inadvertently leaves the kitchen door open with the Christmas turkey sitting unattended on a table, and that's when tragedy strikes the Parker family. Their hillbilly neighbors, the Bumpuses, have a pack of hungry hound dogs with no manners. They burst through the open door and devour the turkey. This prompts Mr. Parker, a bona fide turkey junkie, to curse the hounds to all heavens. After a brief requiem, Mr. Parker announces that the family will now eat dinner at the only place open on Christmas, the Chinese restaurant. There, the restaurant owners leads his enthusiastic but diction-challenged Chinese workers on a Christmas-themed serenade. The owner then presents the ultimate Chinese Christmas feast, roast duck, its head still intact. With a ceremonial beheading of the duck, the Parkers enjoy their Christmas Chinese turkey dinner. The movie ends with Ralphie lying in his bed on Christmas night, his Red Rider gun by his side. So how did this movie come to be? It's arguably one of America's favorite holiday films, and it's grown from a modest little movie into a Yuletide hit. So how did the movie actually start? So we need to look back in the 1960s when the story, which was written in a series of recollections by Gene Shepard, who's the author, growing up in Indiana in the late 1930s and 1940s, were broadcast on the radio. The soon-to-be director, Bob Clark, in the late 60s, was driving to a date's house when he happened upon a broadcast of those recollections. Clark wound up driving around the block for almost an hour, glued to the radio until the program was over. He said, my date was not happy. But he knew right away he wanted to make a movie out of the stories, which were collected in a book that you can still get today called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash by Gene Shepard, uh, written in 1966. But the adaptation obviously didn't happen overnight because he actually heard that in the late 60s, but the movie didn't come out to 1983. Oh, wow. So for years, Clark tried to get a studio to fund and finance the film, but nobody was interested. And it wasn't until he became successful in other movies that he had enough clout to kind of get his way and get somebody, studios, to finance the movie and have him be the director. So he pulled the film together. It came out the week before Thanksgiving in 1983 on fewer than 900 screens. The film took in about $2 million in its first weekend and doubled that Thanksgiving weekend, the following weekend, which was pretty good business for the time. The movie was getting strong word-of-mouth support, but the distributor, MGM, had not counted on the movie receiving much success and did not schedule distribution more than the opening screens for the lead-up to the Christmas. Thus, A Christmas Story disappeared from theaters quickly abruptly elbowed out by bigger seasonal studio movies of the day, most notably Scarface and Christine. So ultimately, A Christmas Story collected about $19 million at the box office itself, which was good showing, but not great. But it really wasn't its fault. But fortunately for A Christmas Story, at the same time, the home video and cable television systems were beginning to grow in popularity, and A Christmas Story crept into the mainstream through videotape and cable broadcast. The rights to the movie were sold in 1986 to Warner Brothers by MGM as part of a 50-movie package deal. In fact, MGM practically gave the movie away when it tossed the movie, A Christmas Story, into the deal in order to simply meet the 50-movie quota agreed to. Interesting. The cable network TNT first aired its 12-showing, 24-hour marathon as a stunt in 1988. The cable network TNT first aired its 12-showing 24-hour marathon of A Christmas Story as a stunt in 1988. But popular demand turned stunt into tradition. It is now an annual marathon that starts every Christmas Eve and attracts more than 40 million people to tune in to watch at some point. A Christmas Story is now one of the most popular holiday movies of all time, earning a place alongside... It's a Wonderful Life and a Miracle on 34th Street. So here's some fun trivia facts about the movie. As I mentioned, the movie was actually based on a series of recollections, not just about Christmas, but life in general in the 30s and 40s by Gene Shepard, which was captured in the book, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Some characters like 
the Scott Farkas character was created specifically for the movie and never appeared in the book. In the book, Grover Dill is the only bully who torments Rafi. Also, the setting is based on Hammond, Indiana, which was the hometown of author Gene Shepard. Gene Shepard grew up on Cleveland Street and went to Warren G. Harding Elementary School. That's so funny. Just like Rafi. But the movie was actually filmed in Cleveland, Ohio, and Toronto, Ontario. A house from the movie is located just outside of downtown Cleveland, and the Higby building still stands in downtown Cleveland. The Christmas tree shopping scene and many of the inside shots of the house were filmed in Toronto. One of Toronto's trademarked red trolleys can be seen driving by the shot of the outside tree lot. Ralphie's school exteriors were filmed at Victoria School in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. So to find an American city resembling an Indiana town of the 1940s, Director Clark sent his location scouts to 20 cities before selecting Cleveland, Ohio as the site. The decision to film in Cleveland was due to the willingness of Higby's, which was an actual department store, to allow the movie to be filmed inside the store. So the author, Gene Shepard, actually makes an appearance in the film. He's the grouchy department store customer who tells Ralphie to go back to the end of the Santa line. That's Gene Shepard? Yep. Oh my so goodness. Funny. And the director who who was you know persistent in getting this movie made, Bob Clark, has a brief cameo as Swede. The Parker family's dim-witted neighbor with a southern accent who stops to marvel at the leg lamp from across the street. That's, that's so hilarious! Yeah. That's that's a director? Yep, that's that's the guy. Oh my goodness. The role of Mr. Parker, who was played by Darren McGavin, was actually originally offered to Jack Nicholson, who was actually interested in the part. But because of his uh, typical large salary request, they went with somebody who was cheaper <laughs> along the way. And he did an excellent job. He did. Yes. They cast that so well. The mom and dad just, they were amazing. The scene where one of Rafi's friends Flick's tongue sticks to a very cold flagpole was actually done by putting in a hidden suction tube to actually pull the tongue and hold it against the flagpole itself rather than using cold material. So it looked like it was frozen right. onto the flagpole. Yeah. Yes, that's a classic scene. It is. So the major award that Ralphie's dad, the old man, who actually doesn't have a name, he only goes by the old man. Yeah, and that he never says dad either. It's right. always the old, the old man. man. That's right. The major award that he wins is a leg lamp. And it was actually based on a real lamp. So three leg lamps were made for the movie, part of the major award. All were broken on set during the filming. Aww. Yeah. The reason we know the timeline of the movie is about 1940 is because of the Radio Orphan Annie decoder pin that Rafi received. It is specifically the Speedomatic model, which was released in 1940. Actually, in December of 1940. There were different decoder badges made for each year from 1935 to 1940. And by 1941, the decoders were made of paper due to World War II metal shortages. Oh. Yeah, interesting. The stars um, talked about the snow that was used during the movie. It was actually soap flakes and fighter fighters foam. So they remarked that they slid all over the place during the making of the movie. There were three sequences that were actually cut from the movie. One, in which Ralphie... Because Ralphie, in his dream about the BB gun, always thinks of rescuing people around him and his BB gun would help him do that. So one scene that was cut was where Ralphie joins Flash Gordon to fight Ming the Merciless, which was the old TV show. And it was cut from the movie completely. But the pictures of the scenes and the costumes are actually on display at the A Christmas Story House and Museum. So you can see it there. There was another fantasy sequence involving Black Bart's men which was later cut in favor of the backyard scene. The deleted sequence involved Ralphie rescuing Santa from Black Bart's men while Santa is stuck in a chimney. His little brother played one of Black Bart's men in the scene. Oh, that's funny. His costume can also be seen in the house and museum. Well, I guess there were only two scenes that were cut. (laughs) (laughs) A Christmas Story inspired the creation of the TV show The Wonder Years as well. And Peter Billingsley, who played Ralphie, uh, actually showed up on a number of TV shows and movies along the way. But he was actually in Iron Man. He was in The Breakup. But he was also in one of our other favorite Christmas holiday movie traditions. Do you know which one? Elf. Yes. Elf, yep. He plays one of the head elves in the movie Elf. Yeah. Yep. So very fun movie. Lots of great 
quotes and scenes that are kind of like tangent to the story. So we encourage you to watch it. And we've watched it pretty much multiple times every year. We used to have a Christmas story party that we, we did. we'd invited friends for many years in Houston together to watch. But we really enjoy the movie and have a lot of fun. It's a great family movie. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Time of the year, actually. So speaking of fun Christmas traditions... I am going to be talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the original story created by Robert Louis May. So, so as many, you know, young adults my age will probably know, they were probably introduced to Rudolph via the Rankin-Bass special. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is what we consider to be the classic story. We also have the song. Right. Um, as well. Which matches. Which matches. Yeah. So that made me curious. So I went looking, and apparently the Rankin Bass and the song match, but neither match the original story. Oh. Yeah, so it's very um, interesting. The original story does not have Hermie the Elf or a monster or... The Bumble. The Bumble. Yukon Cornelius? Yeah, and his dogs. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have a lot of that. Does it have the Island of Misfit Toys? It does not. But what I will, does it have? I know. That's what made me curious. I'm like, well, what's left? Yeah. <laughs> like, just have Rudolph, what's I guess. Do? Right. So I just wanted to briefly tell you about what I found. So the original story of Rudolph is no longer in distribution, or at least that I could find. Um, although I think the original booklets are out there, I did find a video of someone reading the original booklet with okay. the illustrations. So that's 11 minutes long. I'm not going to... We'll listen to a little bit of it just for you guys to hear what it sounds like. It's a poem. So the original story is a poem, much alike to the poem, like how the Twas the Night Before Christmas went. Okay. Right. So it was created by Robert Louis May. Robert May grew up as an affluent, secular Jewish home in New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, very different right off the bat. Yeah. Different from what I thought. Um, yeah, not Christmas. No. <laughs> no not Santa, Christmas, as yeah. a, you know, I thought. Interesting. Robert's parents were hit hard by the Great Depression. And sometime in the 1930s, May moved to Chicago and took a job as a low-paid in-house advertising copywriter for Montgomery Ward. In early 1939, Robert's boss at Montgomery Ward asked him to write a cheery Christmas book for shoppers and suggested that an animal be the star of the book. Montgomery Ward had been buying and giving away coloring books for Christmas every year, and it was decided that year that creating their own book would save money and be a nice goodwill gesture. So um, Robert was charged with this project. So what he did, as many writers do, he drew on his own memories of his own shy childhood when creating his Rudolph stories. He decided on making a reindeer the central character of his book, partly because his then four-year-old daughter, Barbara, loved the deer in the Chicago Zoo. Now, I live in the countryside, and we see deer all the time. I would not have thought, oh, yes, deer is my favorite animal. Yeah, or should be the the central animal... Of a Christmas story. Right, Right, yeah. Right, Right. but okay, (laughs) you know. Barbara can like what she wants. That's right. Robert can write what he wants, I guess. That's right, and it worked for them, right? Yeah. So he ran verses and chapters of the Rudolph poem by Barbara to make sure that they entertain children. So that was nice that he had, you know, a kid (laughs) (laughs) to run it by. Robert considered naming the reindeer Rollo or Reginald. Okay. Before deciding upon using the name Rudolph. In its first year of publication, Montgomery Ward distributed 2.4 million copies of Rudolph's story. Wow. Yes. The story, as I said, is a written poem, the same meter as Twas a Night Before Christmas. Oh, okay. So when May was pondering how best to craft a Christmas story about a reindeer, once he decided on the reindeer, while staring out his office window in downtown Chicago, a thick fog from Lake Michigan blocked his view, giving him a flash of inspiration. <laughs> Suddenly, I had it, he recalled. A nose. A bright red nose that would shine through fog like a spotlight. <laughs> and that I, is hilarious oh how creative people can be. Oh my goodness. Like, just out of all the things to think about. So here's the thing around that time. 
can you guess why a red nose might make the company pause well, before? Red noses are associated with people that drink a lot of yes, alcohol. You are correct. I wouldn't have ever thought of it. But yes, because of the sub- cultural significance of a red nose was associated to chronic alcoholism and drunkards, the story idea was initially rejected. But um, Robert asked his illustrator friend to draw a cute reindeer using zoo deer as models. So the alert, bouncy character that the illustrator developed convinced management to support the idea. Rather than just making his reindeer have like a white nose or something. Right. A white nose. He really 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 wanted wanted that red. red. Yeah. Yeah. So the story is different. It chronicles the experiences of Rudolph, a young reindeer buck who possesses an unusual luminous red nose, so that's still the same, mocked and excluded by his peers because of this trait, again the same, Rudolph proves himself one Christmas Eve with poor visibility due to inclement weather. Again, all the same. So all that sounded the same, so I had to look up. I'm like, there there has to be somewhere where the story is available. Um, And sure enough, on time.com, I found a video where someone is reading the original story with the original book and illustrations. That's so neat. Yes. So, I'm going to be playing it for you all just a little bit, just to get like a little taste of what it was. Okay, here we go. T'was the day before Christmas, and all through the hills, the reindeer were playing, enjoying the spills of skating and coasting and climbing the willows and hopscotch and leapfrog protected by pillows while every so often they'd stop to call names at one little deer not allowed in their games ha ha look at rudolph his nose is a sight it's red as a beet twice as big twice as bright while rudolph just wept what else could he do he knew the things that they were saying were true where most reindeer's noses are brownish and tiny poor rudolph's was red very large and quite shiny in daylight it dazzled the picture shows that at nighttime it glowed like the eyes of a cat and putting dirt on it just made it look muddy oh boy was he mad when they nicknamed him ruddy all right, I'm going to skip just a little bit. That's really cute, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the illustrations are really cute, too. He'd been good. While way, way up north, on this same foggy night, old Santa was packing his sleigh for its flight. This fog, he complained, will be hard to get through. He shook his round head, and his tummy shook, too. Without any stars or a moon as a compass, This extra dark night is quite likely to swamp us. Okay, skipping a little. Okay, so basically, just for y'all's information, I'm I'm just going to allow it a little bit more, but bottom line, Santa has a super hard time getting through the fall. He goes by street lamps and lights of the houses, but eventually, you know, it all goes dark, and he can't really figure out whose house he's at, and what gifts to give. Oh, this okay. includes inside the houses. So even inside the houses, he's ha- like it's super dark, and he's having a hard time like finding things. So... <clears throat> a dim but quite definite light met his eyes. The light wasn't burning. The glow came instead from something that lay at the head of the bed. And sorry, one more thing. So Rudolph is in a home. So he's at his own home, okay. and he's sleeping in his bed. And okay. that's when Santa realizes that he has the red nose. So he, he stopped by Rudolph's house. Right. Okay. On Christmas Eve, as one does. Right. And there lay, but wait now, what would you suppose? The glowing, you've guessed it, was Rudolph's red nose. So this room was easy. This one little light... Let Santa pick quickly the gifts that were right. How happy he was till he went out the door. The rest of the house was as black as before. So black that it made every step a dark mystery. 
And then came the greatest idea in all history. He went back to Rudolph and started to shake him, of course very gently, in order to wake him. And Rudolph could scarcely believe his own eyes. You can just imagine his joy and surprise. At see- so Santa asks Rudolph if he can light the way. Rudolph is super happy, and I'm just going to fast forward like to the last few pages. And come to a deer. Then riding with Santa and guiding his sleigh, the number one job on the number one day. The sleigh and its reindeer soon came into view, and Rudolph still led them as downward they flew. Oh boy, was he proud as they came to a landing, right where his handsome playmates were standing. Those bad deer who used to nothing but tease him would now have done anything only to please him. They felt so that's just a little bit of it. It, it is cute at the end, too. It, it's a cute story. And at the end, um, Rudolph becomes so bashful that he becomes red from head to toe. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, so his whole fur turns red as his nose. Yeah. That's Which is really cute. And, of course, it ends with uh, Merry Christmas to all and to all good night, just like was the night before Christmas. Yeah. So super cute little poem, super cute story, became super popular right off the bat. Right, but no connection to the original, well, not no connection, but not a strong connection between the original poem mm-hmm. story and the what we all think of as Rudolph and his story. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So the song was created by Robert's brother-in-law, which adapted the story. Okay, so the song became the number one hit on the Billboard chart the week of Christmas in 1949. It was reportedly that Bing Crosby turned down the offer to sing the song. Instead, Gene Autry sang it. And it just, it became like a huge, hugely popular song. And of course, the stop motion, everybody's beloved Rankin Bass production special in 1964 happened as well. And Really, the song and the movie are what we remember. Yeah. But the the poem, which hopefully we can put at the end of this podcast for y'all to listen to, it's really cute. Yeah. And it's really cute. it's really amazing how how much has come from that. So two things I think of. One is I had the record from Gene Autry when I was a kid. Really. And that you know it was my mom, my parents' record, but mm-hmm. um, I listened to that thing a million times. That was really the first full Christmas album that I listened to. All the Gene Autry. Christmas songs. So um, mm-hmm. when I hear them now, it's it's a lot of nostalgia and thinking back on childhood memories for me. Mm-hmm. Second thing, does that poem, since mm-hmm. you've listened to the whole thing, answer the question, the debate that the world has as to whether or not Rudolph is always with Santa on Christmas Eve or only on cloudy nights? So Santa made Rudolph the commander-in-chief on future dark trips. Oh, so, okay. So, it is only on dark trips. So, if parts of the world have, like, fog or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. then so, he becomes the main, the main reindeer. Right. And he is always at the front of the team. He is also the youngest of the reindeer. And, I mean, I can't imagine them not running into fog somewhere. So, so my guess is he always he's is probably there. there just yeah. in case. Right. Very fun. Very fun. Learned some things about Rudolph I did not know. I know, me neither. The fact that he turned completely red. (laughs) That was so funny. (laughs) Illustration of that. Yes. A lot of times you see Rudolph in like different Christmas decor, including in like sweaters and stuff sometimes. Another Christmas tradition is the ugly sweater. Poor Rudolph gets connected with the ugly Christmas sweater. I know. (laughs) So, what, um, what do you guys think of when I say ugly Christmas sweater? Christmas parties where people bring, you know, definitely try to like really have sweaters with like things attached to them, like lights or like fuzzy balls. and. So you're going 3D. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm laughing because it reminds me of when you're at work where there is the debate of what exactly makes an ugly right. sweater. So a bunch of people voted for this one person who was just wearing a normal sweater. <laughs> it, so sad. it is, but it was so hilarious. And Hopefully, the they took up, it well. Well, and they won a prize. So, yeah, you know, it, it helped. But um, but yeah, they that's what to, I think of. 
where they needed to uh, transfer that out of their wardrobe right. for their future. And that, yeah, and I've seen that as a trope on different Christmas movies and, mm-hmm. and things like that where somebody right. is like, I'm just wearing a sweater. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And ugly sweaters can be as simple as having holiday designs all over it. It's right. like snowflakes all over like, wow. it or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But it often can also have like a large comical face like yes. San or Rudolph or... A Al- an elf. A llama with a Well, now these hat. days. <laughs> it is true. They're often green, white, red. In my research, I did see that um, you shouldn't go beyond six colors. Oh. Which cracked me up. I'm like, what other colors are you using? And why Why would somebody use so many colors? Why would well, somebody draw the line at six? That's what I was thinking. So it can be 3D. You can get those pom-poms, the lights. You can get all kinds of things now. So it's become quite the Christmas icon itself. Yes. But how did it get there? So it all started in the 50s. In the 50s, there was a mass commercialization of Christmas. And with that was the Christmas sweater. Now this was much more discreet than what they are today. They were themed but are like artistic or joyful, not as loud or garish. Yeah, they were. As, ju- it was just another product they were selling. With yeah, and they were and called Jingle Bell sweaters. Oh, huh. that sounds nice. Right. Much better than ugly Christmas sweaters. <laughs> it is. And we say ugly Christmas sweaters knowing that some of them really aren't ugly. They're just a Christmas sweater. Yeah, and it's just what you call them. It's the term. I do like Jingle Bell sweaters. That sounds very nice. That is very nice. That was in the 1950s. I mean, you'd always know where you were in the store. I don't know if they meant they actually had jingle bells on them, did they? No. They were just called jingle bell sweaters. No. You have to get (laughs) away from the today's Christmas ugly sweater. These were much more subtle. Probably, like, maybe something subtle knitted into the sweater. It's just themed. Just a Christmas-themed sweater. And that was the name of them. So, in the 1980s... They kind of had a resurgence through Bill Cosby as Cliff Huxtable on The Cosby Show. Oh. So for the decade that he was on there, he wore ugly Christmas sweaters at Christmas time. Oh, okay. So he wore like brightly themed Christmas yeah. sweaters before and course, there really was an ugly Christmas sweater? Right. Yeah. So it was kind of like one of those things that people noticed, right? That was different about him. Then, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation came out, and that kind of helped solidify it in the 80s. And I'll show you, if you look, it's really it's very not, subtle. It's, yeah, it's still not the ugly sweaters we think of. If you look so, at... So, Chevy Chase. Chevy char- Chase. Character who's the dad in Christmas Vacation. Yes, and one. he has on like a blue and maroon striped sweater and... In the sweater stripes are all kinds of uh, snowflakes. So that that was something that also caught on. Now, that was the 1980s. The 1990s, the Christmas sweater kind of faded. It's something that unfashionable older relatives might wear, but it's not something that younger people would wear or fashionable people would wear. And then in 2001, Bridget Jones's Diary came out, the movie. And Colin Firth, whose character was Mark Darcy, turned to greet Bridget at a family party wearing an unattractive knitted garment featuring a giant red-nosed reindeer. (laughs) Bridget is horrified, as other people probably were, but it also was heartwarming and resurged this trend. So that was very interesting that a movie... Could do that. But, I mean, it was very specific. It was a very loud, very distinct sweater. I have one, a picture of one here. This is probably similar to what he wore. Very cartoony. Yes. Yes. So, that was in 2001. In 2002, the first known ugly sweater party was thrown in Vancouver, Canada to raise money for a friend's cancer treatment. Go Canadians. I know. And now there are often ugly sweater parties that most are themed toward a charity, which is a really neat thing. Now, are they always ugly Christmas sweaters, or are they ugly other time of year sweaters? 
I believe it's Christmas sweaters. I think the ugly sweater is a Christmas thing. Just Christmas. So there we have early 2000s. So then you get into the 2010s. And in 2013, UglyChristmasSweater.com was founded. (laughs) Adding momentum to the steady rise toward the mainstream popularity. So did you know there is a National Ugly Sweater Day? I believe it. Do tell. A National Day. It is the third Friday of December. Oh. True that. So, on the third Friday of December, what date is that this year? 18th. The 18th. Of December. We're recording this on the 13th, so this will come out a couple weeks after the Ugly Christmas Sweater Day. Oh, well, if you missed it this year, you can catch it next year. It's a yearly thing. Yep, it'll be on the 17th next year. Next year is the 17th. The year after that is the 16th. The year after that, 15th. The year after that, you can just keep Googling. Now, I'm going to give you some National Ugly Sweater Day statistics. 23% of the people will buy an ugly sweater. (laughs) It's bound to happen. Whether it's for a house party, an office event, or family photos, 23% of people don't doubt they'll be joining the Ugly Sweater Brigade sometime in the future. The joy that comes with purposely wearing an ugly sweater without your fashion sense coming into question is pure and unbeatable. This is nationaltoday.com. It's just funny. Uglychristmassweaters.com. This is different than the previous website that I had said. This is uglychristmassweaters.com. Made $5 million. This company knows their ugly sweaters. In only three years, their profit has skyrocketed into being a multi-million dollar company. So you can bet they know their stuff. This company, and I thought this was fascinating and a really great idea, is a company that knew their audience, right? This company allows you to customize your own ugly sweater. Buy one in their stock and even has sweaters created by popular influencers. That's hilarious. Yeah. Some of their sweaters are so ugly, they're 3D. (laughs) Many retailers have seen a good amount of profit coming in during the holiday season, specifically from their stock of ugly sweaters, which goes to show how seriously people take their decorative holiday wear. That must be interesting for the people that are in charge of picking out products each year to just try to decide which ugly Christmas sweater to order in mass. For their store. Right. Whereas with UglyChristmasSweaters.com, they do have some yeah. that you can just purchase. Just, you can customize it. Yeah, it's crazy. What a great idea. It really is. Oh, my goodness. From 2012 to 2015, the ugly sweater industry grew by 200%. Wow. And as you were just talking about, Randy, retailers are making their own ugly sweaters to sell. You see them all over. You see them in Target. You mm-hmm. see them in Coles. Oh, every store that has... Clothing to sell. We'll pick up ugly Christmas sweaters to sell for the holidays. And I've seen a lot that are the body of an elf. And so when you put on the sweater, your face is the head. Yeah. Yeah. All you need is the hat. (laughs) So people are really creative. So they have this broad following, this public acceptance. We all know about them. I don't know if everybody owns one. I don't. I don't. Do you no, said? but um, I'm looking at the website now. They have a Baby Yoda <gasps> tree ugly sweater. Okay, did you hear that, people? And it has <laughs> a little Baby Yoda pouch on the front. Oh, that's Oh, funny. my goodness. How cute is that? It so is. it's like your Mando, the Mandalorian yeah. holding Baby Yoda. Yeah. How funny. At Christmas time. At, at Christmas, Christmas time. Yeah. Funny. In your <laughs> sweater, like a marsupial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they become a cultural meme. Along with your eggnog and your Christmas party that aren't happening this year. Your trees, your advent calendars. There are ugly sweater books. There's a 5K race and trophies. This has really taken on a life of its own. It's a really cute, wholesome activity to participate in. So it's probably one of the few traditions that did not start in Europe or in Germany specifically. Right, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. That we know of. Now, if you're over there and you know of Christmas sweaters and Christmas ugly sweaters starting before the 1950s, let us know. Yes. <laughs> I know, really. So, there you have it. Fun, ugly sweater info. Boom. And I think I need to look up that Baby Yoda one. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be prepared. That's right. So, we hope that you have and have had a happy holiday season. This will come out a couple days after Christmas Day, but many, many people have different events, Boxing Day and Three Kings Day. So the Christmas celebration goes on 
for many people beyond Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So we hope that you are having great celebrations along the way as well. So our holidays and festivities continue. We've got the week of December 28th for our future festivities. December 28th is National Card Playing Day. Good time post-Christmas with your family to play some card games, maybe some new ones you haven't played before. December 29th is TikTok Day. What? No, not that TikTok. <laughs> this is actually TikTok like the clock day. Not the app. Not the app. <laughs> December 30th is Bacon Day. I think this is like the third bacon day. I know. I think people are putting a lot of bacon days in here. <laughs> December 31st is New Year's Eve. January 1st is New Year's Day 2021 that we hope is a much better year ahead. Yay! January 2nd is National Science Fiction Day. And January 3rd is Festival of Sleep Day. <gasps> I like that. I know. What a crazy <laughs> festival. You can always follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons, one word. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Randy, Sydney, and Beth, Merry Christmas! You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen But do you recall The most famous reindeer of all Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him names They never let poor Rudolph Join in any reindeer games Then one foggy Christmas Eve Santa came to say Rudolph with your nose so bright Won't you guide my sleigh tonight Then how the reindeer loved him As they shouted out with glee Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer You'll go down in history shiny nose and if you ever saw it you would even say it glows all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names they never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games then one foggy Christmas Eve Santa came to say Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then how the reindeer loved him, as they shouted out with glee. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, you go down in history.